Welcome to Alaskwatch, the show all about Bigfoot in the great state of Alaska. I'm your host, Beans Baxter. So lace up your boots, zip up your coat, and come with me on an adventure as we explore all things cryptid in the last frontier. Hey guys, what's going on? I am back from vacation. Uh, we've got some sunny weather going on out here out my window, which is kind of a surprise because the last few days it's been um, really cloudy and raining a lot. <clears throat> You'll have to excuse me, I'm a little hoarse. I'm not sure if it's from traveling, if I picked up a bug, or if it's just from uh, sleeping with my mouth open. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Probably probably caught something while I was out traveling because that's usually how it goes. Uh, being around people on planes and stuff, you know how it goes. You're always getting some kind of bug or something when you when you get back home. I'm just I'm thankful I didn't get it during vacation and I waited to get it till I got home. Uh, this is the last episode of my overview of True Detective season four, Night Country. <clears throat> the season set in Alaska. Uh, like I said, normally I've, I've kind of cut reviews and stuff out of, um, out of out of my repertoire for the channel. But I feel because this one is uh, Alaska-centric and it's kind of, um, I guess, paranormal-related and because I've had experience in law enforcement in Alaska and I can offer some particular insight into the show i figured uh i'd go ahead and, and throw this together uh this is going to be over the last three episodes <clears throat> um two of them dropped while i was on vacation and then the last one just dropped the other day and we watched it um the day it dropped and i'm not i'm not gonna get i'll get i'll get into it like this is gonna be a pretty long episode i took notes on all the episodes uh, I'm going to try and get through the fourth and fifth episode pretty quick so we can spend more time on the finale. Uh, episode four, it opens up on Christmas Eve. Uh, Danvers is watching the video they found of uh, Annie, get, I, I remembered her name, I wrote it down, of Annie getting, uh, I, we assume it's the when she gets murdered, Her the video she takes in the ice cave. Uh, she's watching it in bed. She's, you know, looking at it. She's trying to figure some stuff out, looking at details and such. And she ends up um, running into Navarro's sister, who's running around, like, taking her clothes off and, and obviously having some kind of uh, mental health episode. Uh, she's worried that the captain guy, Connolly, is taking the case, which, again... It's kind of funny because um, during my time in law enforcement, it was very seldom when officers would get upset that another agency wanted a case. Usually it was quite the opposite. It's like, oh, you should take this. Um, and it's not necessarily because they were lazy or anything. It's because most cops in Alaska have a pretty full plate as far as caseload. And anytime you can get kind of like a, some assistance or reprieve with that, it's usually appreciated. And there are usually some like general, some legit jurisdictional issues where it's like, well, this is probably troopers. Um, it's amazing to me 
how it's not really anything that I considered until I became a police officer. But the majority of people, normal, everyday, like law-abiding people, the majority of people have no idea who's responsible for their police service. Uh, and I worked for a municipality police, kind of like in, the, in this police department. And it would amaze me if I had a, a nickel for every time someone came in uh, to report something and they actually lived in Alaska State Trooper jurisdiction and it was actually true. If I had a nickel for that, I could have retired years earlier. Like I would have been able to retire at like 40 years old. It would, it was crazy. But the reality of it is, you know, most people don't have to deal or interact with the police on a, on a normal everyday basis. It's not really something they think about. And then when something comes up, it's like, well, I live, you know, even though their address may say Homer, they don't live in the corporate city limits and the troopers actually provided services to them and they had no idea. So they would just come in and be like, I need to report something. And the first thing we always ask is, where do you live? And even if they say Homer, we would say, what's your address? Like, where, what street do you live on? Because you could technically still have a Homer address and live in trooper jurisdiction. And a lot of people would be like, well, what does it matter? Crime's a crime. You should do your job and do the police. Well, it matters because of insurance stuff and jurisdictional stuff and you know if i go off and start fighting crime outside the city limits and something happens to me uh it could affect the way if i get hurt or something like that it could affect the way that insurance handles that they could be like well he wasn't in his own jurisdiction he wasn't taking care of you know his city so why should we pay his medical bills and <clears throat> Believe it or not, you know, that kind of stuff happens. Uh, now, if it was a, it's a different ball game. Like if the troopers call and say, hey, we need help doing this. Can you help come and assist us? It becomes a different thing then because you're still acting within the scope of your duties. Uh, but you're responding to a call for assistance. But if you just on your own, like initiate activity outside the city limits, while you still might technically have jurisdiction and have arrest powers and be able to handle the situation, um, it can get tricky uh, when it comes to like insurance and coverage and stuff like that so technically you know you don't really want to handle things outside of the city limits unless you're assisting the agency that's responsible for that jurisdiction um and we're getting way <laughs> doesn't really have anything to do with uh true detective but uh just this this worry that danvers has that somebody they're trying to take the case away from her and you know, like I said, it's very rare that that happens. Usually it's quite the opposite. It's like, please take this case, take this headache away from me. Um, so younger prior tells Danvers about a similar case, tells her about this heist guy that got found several years ago with similar injuries to the, um, the scientists, but he survived. Um, Danvers tells him to put out an APB. Uh, APBs are not a thing. Uh, the correct nomenclature is BOLO, be on the lookout. It's been that way ever since I was a cop. I don't think I've ever had a, a APB uh, issued under under my watch or, or have received one. Uh, I think it's pretty almost pretty much universal that there are BOLOs now. <clears throat> there may be some 
municipal department somewhere in the lower 48 that still uses that term. But um, it's just, it's funny because I, I, I give the show so many props with a lot of their uh, handling of, well, of props <laughs> of uh, like the way the, um, they actually had the crime lab logo on the manual uh, they got the state trooper license plates right, so, you know, stuff like that. But then the writing, something will come up in the writing and they'll use like the wrong nomenclature or they'll say something wrong about it. And, um, you know, it just irritates me. I'm, I'm sure if you've ever like watched enough uh, mil- TV uh, or movies with a military or law enforcement guy and then you just, you never really hear that. <sighs> that's not how that, that's not how it works. <clears throat> and um, I'll, I'll get into that a little bit more later on as to why I think uh, a lot of us get so frustrated with that kind of stuff. Um, we jump to the Hank Pryor, the older Pryor, uh, getting stood up. His uh, wife, or, or not, I guess they're not married yet, his girlfriend, his long-distance long girlfriend uh, that he probably met on the internet, uh, is supposed to be coming in. Obviously, she doesn't get off the plane. Uh, you can tell he's pretty upset. And it's funny because watching this scene, it reminded me, it would probably would have been a little bit funnier maybe if it was done um, in the manner of the story that I'm about to tell. So this uh, gentleman I worked with, he was an older gentleman. He was the chief of police at the time. And he was telling me a story about working in a northern community, much like Ennis, uh, when he was um, a younger police officer. And he was working with a gentleman whose wife uh, was still living in the lower 48. Gentleman had come up here to become a cop in Alaska, got a job at this uh, remote northern department. And finally his wife was coming and he was so excited. He's like, yay, you know, like my wife's finally coming, you know, I can't wait for her to get here. And, you know, he's already like bought them a house and stuff. And so the day comes and there's a, a terrible, like it's a bad snowstorm not bad enough really to uh, delay the plane, but bad enough that, you know, you, you can, the weather's frightful. You know, there's blowing snow. It's a, it's a lot of it. It's very cold. So um, this officer goes to the airport, you know, my, much in my imagination, I picture like uh, the elder prior here. He's got like a, a teddy bear or maybe some chocolates in a, in a heart shaped box or something. And he's standing there and the, the plane, opens and everybody gets off the plane and he looks he's like where's my wife and he looks and she's still like she can see her like looking out the window of the plane and she just waves and is like no i'm not getting out i'm going home and the doors close and she doesn't even get off the plane and goes back because she's like screw this (laughs) because she saw the weather so yeah that that scene kind of reminded me of that it would have been funny maybe if she had just stuck her head out the plane and be like you gotta be effing kidding me i'm not living in this you know get bent <laughs> and gets back on the plane <laughs> but uh then we jump to navarro and danvers they go to see the teacher um he tells them about the ice caves which seems funny to me that they don't know about that kind of stuff it for this community to be the size it is, there's a lot of things that like people are like, I didn't know that. And, um, living, living in, uh, a small community like this in, in Alaska, 
the one thing you learn is like there are no secrets. None. There's no secrets. Like everybody knows everything about everybody. And uh, one of my favorite anecdotes about that is when I was working on St. Paul Island, I get this email, uh, the the um, probation officer who oversees our area. So basically somebody that gets charged with a felony crime and they get released. Maybe they get released early. They'll get released on probation and they can get out of jail as long as they follow the rules of the probation and they're assigned a probation officer who can come and give them drug tests and check up on them and search their house at any time. Basically, there's certain rights you give up to be on probation. You can say, yes, you know, I will accept the terms of this probation and let the probation officer come to my house and search it for uh, weapons, child porn, what, whatever, depending on what crime you're charged with um, is what they can look for. But he can come in anytime he wants and, and look. And I will get to be free as long as I comply with these probation uh, rules. <clears throat> so our probation officer calls or contacts us and says, hey, I want to come. There's There was like two, I think two, maybe three probationers in the city. And uh, he goes, I want to come uh, for a couple of days and uh, check up on your guys' uh, probationers. Check up on my guys there. Uh, can you guys come pick me up at the airport and, you know, give me a ride around town and, you know, take me to their houses and, and et cetera, et cetera. Basically act as his guide and liaison. Yeah, sure. No problem. Whatever. So he and he's like, don't tell anybody, you know, keep it quiet. I don't want I don't want these guys to know. Like if I, I'm, I'm going to drug test one of them or a couple of them, whatever it was. And I don't want them to get a heads up. And I don't want them to avoid me. So please, you know, don't tell anybody. <clears throat> so, of course, I didn't tell anybody. I didn't, I didn't have anybody to tell. Well, the day comes. Uh, probation officer uh, lands at the airport. I pick him up. You know, we exchange pleasantries. And I pick him up. And I'm going to take him to the store so he can pick up some groceries because uh, there's no restaurants or anything. There's no place to eat there, really. So he's got to get some food for the three or four days that he's going to be there. So I take him to the store, the one store in town, the, the AC store. Take him to the store. We're walking around the store, and I'm kind of showing him where stuff is, and everything's, like, super expensive. And we're walking through the store, and one of the ladies in, that lives in the town looks at him, and he goes, Hi, Rex! Which was his name, and it was, it was so hilarious because dude was shook. I mean, just like, how do you know who the f I am? You know, like how do you know how do you know who I am? And because he's thinking like his his trip here is this big secret. Doesn't understand <clears throat> that everybody in town knows everybody. Everybody knows, like who works at the airport, the people that work at the airport, they look at the plane manifests. They look at who's coming and going. If they see a name on there they don't recognize, they're probably Googling it or they're asking people like, who is this guy? Who is this person? And, you know, all you got to do is put his name into Google and it's going to come up. He works for the probations department. And so it, it really like messed with him. It really like flipped his switch. He was like, what in the hell? And I was like, dude, I'm sorry. I didn't tell anybody. But it's just the way it is here. Like, everybody knows everything. Like, there's no secrets here. And he was like, I guess not. 
And of course, the one at least one of his probationers knew that he was coming. But every, everybody was behaving. Everybody did you know did did fine. But uh, it was just shook the dude, like shook him to his core. Like he couldn't believe it because he was trying to be all secret and covert, and you know he didn't count that his probationer's like cousin or nephew or somebody worked at the airport and saw the manifest and was like, Oh, Hey, your probation officer's coming. You know, everybody knows, uh, who he is. So he's coming. But yeah, it was, it was, uh, kind of surprising to me how there's so many things that these officers, you know, that, that they don't know, like they didn't know about the ice caves. It's like, who doesn't know about the freaking ice? Like you got at one point, that's gotta be the talk of the town. Like, Hey, they found ice caves over here, well bones in them or whatever. So, you know, you think at some point they would hear about it, even if it was like anecdotally or, you know, peripherally. So I found that a little weird, a little hard to swallow uh, as far as rural Alaska life goes. You know, sometimes, especially in the wintertime, there's not a lot going on in these villages. So any news is big news. Forgive me. I try, I've been trying to cut down drinking on mic, but because of my voice, I guess... <clears throat> I gotta, I gotta keep my pipes lubricated here. So, uh, Navarro goes to see her friend Rose. Uh, we don't really, we get a little bit more backstory on her. I guess she was a professor or something and got fed up with it and left. Uh, still not a whole lot of information on her. Uh, Danvers gets a call to go to the mine. Uh, her daughter got caught, uh, defacing property, writing like murderers on and spray paint and, uh, it was kind of funny cause she's like, Oh, you don't want to, you know, talking to the, to the mine lady, like you don't want to ruin her life. Come on. And I was thinking like, yeah, you know, maybe we're at a point now where maybe she does need <laughs> to get some, some, uh, charges or some corrective action. There needs to be some consequences for her action. Uh, something that I didn't notice, uh, or I probably wouldn't have noticed unless my brother-in-law hadn't pointed it out at that scene where she goes to the mine there's like two Teslas like parked next to the doors that she defaces like brand new Teslas, not a scratch of snow on them. I think they're white. They're clean. And I was like, well, that's bullshit. Like, I don't think, I don't think there's any electric vehicles that far North. Uh, there's at least one Tesla, I think here in town. Uh, I don't, I don't know who owns it, but I see it occasionally. But from what I've heard, uh, you know, electric vehicles don't do well in a colder climate. Uh, I watched a, a show where uh, Ewan McGregor and Charlie, I think it's Borman is his name, rode some electric motorcycles from like the tip of South America, like up <clears throat> to uh, California. And uh, those bikes, the Harley Livewires, like performed very poorly in cold climates, uh, basically when they were like in the the mountains uh, of like Argentina and stuff, like the the bikes were just not not holding a charge. Uh, their range got, got cut in like half. Um, really t turned me off. Not that I was ever a big fan of electric vehicles or wanting one, uh, but really turned me off from, from wanting to own one in Alaska. Um, I think they're probably, if you live in like a warmer climate, like California or Florida, maybe it's great. You know, I would probably consider owning one there, uh, but not so much here. You know, I don't want my, life to be in the hands of a, of a battery <laughs> um, especially one that doesn't necessarily perform well in cold climates 
that's something that, you know, is really unique about Alaska that people don't really, you don't really hear a lot about it. Like people talk about how dangerous it is here and stuff like that. And it's, it's true. Uh, but it's not really, you know, they didn't even like, I feel like they didn't really talk about it that much in the season of true detective. Like you can, you can get locked out of your house and die. Like you can freeze to death if you get locked out of your house and can't get back in in certain conditions and certain weather. So not a, not a fan of the electric vehicles yet until they uh, winterize them. So while that's going on, uh, Navarro's sister leaves this mental health facility that she's been placed in and apparently walks on ice and kills herself. Um, I thought that was a little weird. Um, apparently this facility she was in, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, um, what's the, in, in, um, man, can tell I'm tired because I can't think. It was not an in-custody facility. Uh, it was a volunteer facility. But still, even then, you would think they would they would uh, log your comings and goings. All the facilities that I've ever dealt with like that, like you had to sign in and sign out. You couldn't just like, well, get up and walk out. <clears throat> uh, but maybe she did. I mean, maybe that's how they knew she wasn't, she was gone. Um, because apparently the Coast Guard... <laughs> This was again like one of the most unbelievable things. Is the Coast Guard finds her body, finds and identifies her body within like hours, if not even if not minutes. Um, that was pretty ridiculous. There's no how 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 was the Coast Guard just happened to be there? Um, as far as I know, the the Coast Guard doesn't do like a whole lot of like random like searches like that. Just look, oh, we just happen to be out looking for people, and oh, look, we found one. Um, and plus the troopers are responsible for search and rescues in Alaska. And if anything, you know, the troopers would have called the Coast Guard to go look for her. Like that's how that would have worked. It would have gone from probably dependent, probably the Ennis police to the troopers to the Coast Guard. It would have went through like three um, agencies before the search actually got like called <clears throat> so the Ambers um, is, is drinking and driving which I thought was odd see they keep alluding that something happened in the past to her husband and, and son or stepson that they were killed in a car accident and they, you know, I guess jumping ahead, I'll, I'll go ahead and ruin it now. Like they never flesh that out. They never explain it. And I guess there was some speculation that Danvers was driving drunk and, and killed them. But then it seems like also later on, she doesn't know the specifics of what happened. So maybe she wasn't even there. So it's a little confusing. And, you know, she was so hard on that lady in the first episode that was drinking and driving. Uh, but then here we go, you know, like later on, she does it to go see the captain or whatever. And it just seemed weird to me. It's like, okay, well, so does she hate drinking and driving or not? Like she's doing it, you know, is she just being hypocritical? Was she involved in, you know, the death of her son and, and husband or whatever? It's just, it's all over the place. There's a lot of, 
there's there's a lot of ambiguous information given and never fleshed out. It's just kind of like it's almost like a choose your own adventure, which um, I, I I didn't think was was a great idea as far as this goes, because there's a lot of information about our characters I think that would help us um, form you know, attachments to them that they never give us. So it's just like, okay, was she drinking and driving? Was she not? I don't think she was during the accident. I mean, um, but she obviously has no qualms about doing it now. I, I don't know. It was weird. And it was kind of, a, it was just out of place. I felt, um, Navarro finds out about her sister and just like goes nuts and fucking like goes and like gets into a fight with this guy from the, I think episode one that was beating up his girlfriend. And of course him and his friends, there's like four of them and they beat the shit out of her. Uh, again, like that would have been it for Navarro. Probably she would have got fired. Uh, well, she would have got suspended and then pending investigation, she would have got fired because she just started a fight out of nowhere. And, like the most unbelievable thing of the entire series, uh, ghosts and, and, and spooks and the 24 hour lab results aside is that she would do that. And none of those dudes would complain. Like none of those dudes would like call the troopers and be like, guess what this bitch did? Because that is what people love to do more than anything is like when a cop does something wrong, they want to tell somebody about it. So that was like <clears throat> just super super out of play and it is the 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 series goes along it's starting to get worse you know like more un unbelievable for me more just like oh come on come on and danvers and uh <clears throat> navarro basically get a tip that some fishermen, which is by now i think it's like christmas day it's like the 25th and he's like oh some fishermen saw something out by the dredge and there's a picture of a dude walking in the, the pink parka from from earlier. And so Navarro and Danvers go out there to look for this, thinking it's Clark, the missing scientist. And they find Heiss, who's the guy we learned about earlier that had the similar inner, uh, injuries for the scientist. Apparently, he's living in this, like, big, uh, like, mine dredge thing. And he's a junkie. There's, like, needles and stuff all over the place and while Danvers is like chasing him down Navarro has like um, another hallucination but this time she has like blood coming out of her ear so I'm thinking well it's maybe a concussion from the fight she was just in with like the four or five guys uh, so you know is it mental illness is it concussion like what is it <clears throat> and the story kind of ends there uh, with them finding heist and uh, getting him to a hospital. He doesn't really, he, oh, he's, again, you know, instead of explaining things like in a normal, understandable way, he's just like, you know, clock went to the ground. He went to the night country. It's like, what the fuck does that mean? You know, because uh, people don't really talk like that in real life. And um, so then the next episode starts, it jumps forward a few days. We're at December 31st now. Uh, so, uh, Navarro goes and gets her sister from the crematorium. Uh, they go to the hospital and meet Hess. Uh, he talks about the cave-in, the blizzard, 
and shows on the map where there's an entrance to the cave. Uh, younger Pryor gets kicked out by his wife because, you know, how dare he work hard on this, like, multiple homicide, possible multiple homicide that's happened in this town. Like, where where does this guy get off, like, trying to work all this overtime and get money and provide for his family? You know, fuck that. Um, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. <clears throat> so this is, this cracked me up. So there's protests at the mine. And this, like, these two trucks full of riot troopers, like, show up. And basically, there's, like, this big protest. And the troopers are, like, hitting people. And, and, and the the mine people, like, open the gate to let them in. And, and then they start hitting them. I, it made no sense. Like, I didn't understand it. Um, like, one minute, Navarro is, like hanging out with Danvers at the hospital. And the next minute she's in the back of the, one of the like troop carriers wearing the riot gear. And it's like, how much time passed here? Like, did she just like get a call out at the hospital that she needs to go report for like riot control? Like what, what the fuck? Uh, Danvers or, um, Navarro ends up like rescuing, uh, Leia Danvers kid from, from another trooper and like punching the other trooper. And again, you know, Navarro would have been like gone, like long gone, you know, suspended uh, as well as the other trooper, probably like they would have been like, okay, we're going to take you guys off the streets for a while while we figure out what's going on. Uh, But not, not in night country. We're just going to, we're just going to stick Navarro back on the streets, even though she's recently um, had an altercation with like four dudes. And now she's like hitting other cops, but we're going to, we're just going to stick her Stick her back on the street there. Uh, I thought it was kind of funny, though. Uh, they tell Danvers, uh, the, the mine lady calls Danvers and is like, hey, I want you to come and have a meeting. And she thinks it's about the protests. And she's like, well, that's the fucking trooper's fault. That's not, you know, that didn't have anything to do with us. That's their jurisdiction. And I was like, that is fucking spot on right there. Like, that's, that's, that's true. <laughs> that's true detective right there. Because that's exactly what would be going through a real cop's mind when something like that. Well, that's not even my shit show. Why am I? Why do I have to deal with that? So they go. Danvers goes to the meeting thinking she's gonna like reverse Uno, the mine lady, with some information about the mine funding funding to Salal Station. And instead, like they pull like a reverse reverse Uno card on her. And the captain tells Danvers that the case is closed because it was a weather event. And that killed the um, the scientist. And that made me think of, like, that really made me think of, like, the Dyatlov Pass incident where all these different <clears throat> theories are coming around and they're all basically weather-related. Or, you know, it was an avalanche. It was a, a windstorm. It was this kind of, it was like a secret, like, wind avalanche or some whatever that last theory was. So I feel like the writers were like drawing on some of that maybe for inspiration with some of this. And that kind of pisses Danvers off because she's like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. And she basically it's told, you know, the case is closed. Don't worry about it. And the captain alludes that he knows that Danvers and Navarro killed this Wheeler guy who was the guy from like, 
again, almost no time spent on this whatsoever other than like a brief flashback and then it's mentioned a few times where they go to the house. The guy uh, had killed his significant other and then apparently they said it was a murder-suicide but then Navarro shoots the guy in the head. Again, so stupid. Like, can we can we have like, can we have a, a positive portrayal of law enforcement for once, maybe? Please? And, um... You know, like all cops cover stuff up, but it's just okay. This was this guy was a wife beater, so it's okay. No, it's not. Uh, prior elder, prior Hank meets with the mine lady. Obviously, there's some like strange bedfellow stuff going on there. Uh, apparently, <clears throat> they had hired him to do something for them in the past and maybe promised him that. And this, I actually had got some vibes of this earlier. I think in that first episode, remember I was talking like how I felt maybe like Hank Pryor, uh, resented, uh, Danvers because maybe he wanted to be chief or something. turns out I was right about that. Apparently they had maybe teased him or promised him the chief of police job and then weren't able to deliver because Danvers had gotten a uh, place there instead. And you know, there's, there's, I'm not going to say it's like super accurate, but there's a little bit of truth to stuff like that where, you know, it seems to be, there's a couple of different kind of cops out there. There's the cops that want to do their job and help people and just do the best they can. And there's shops, cops out there that just seem like, I just want to amass as much power and prestige as I can. Like I want to be, I don't, I want to be the the biggest fish in this pond, even though there's only like, two other fish in the pond. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me how people just get power hungry and, and career motivated and just like, I want to be, you know, the illustrious potentate of this police department and I will screw over everyone that works below with me or below me to get, to get it. Um, but apparently I think maybe priors, uh, getting catfished or stood up, might have had a lot to do with this. I think probably if his his uh, bride or whatever she was had showed up, I think probably this wouldn't have happened. Uh, he would have probably been busy with her, and you know would have been like, I don't, I'm, I'm not, you know, I got a new life now. I'm not gonna like mess with this. But apparently, they ask him very surreptitious, surreptitiously to kill this heist guy so that he can't show them the cave, even though. He'd already showed him one cave entrance and it was blocked off and <clears throat> they find out basically like, okay, there's another way to get into this cave. Um, Navarro finds out that these spiral things that we've been seeing is a warning to stay away from the ice caves, which um, now it makes me like, why did that lady have a tattoo of like a, I don't know, <laughs> like stay away from me. I'm dangerous. Maybe that's what it was. And what did that have to do with the the cult from the first season? Like, why did they have that symbol there? But uh, <clears throat> Navarro lets uh, Danvers' uh, stepdaughter out of jail. Uh, she goes with Rose to the ocean and, like, spreads her sister's ashes in this, like, hole. She chips a hole in the ice and puts her sister in there, her ashes... Uh, and this was, Danvers goes and visits, you know, there's a conversation about the water being poison and bad. And 
her daughter like tells her like did you know there was like nine stillbirths and the and her danvers goes to the um graveyard where they have all the recently deceased because they can't bury anyone because of the weather and uh, starts looking at some of the like stillborn caskets and i thought that was going to go somewhere i thought she was going to be like you know i'm going to figure this out what killed these kids why these kids were stillborn and then like go after the mine but that doesn't really doesn't really go anywhere um she goes and gets heroin out of the again like jesus christ why can't we have like normal honest police officer she goes and steals evidence out of the evidence room to give to this heist guy because he refuses to show him how to get in the cave again without heroin because he's a junkie and so she goes and, and commits you know like the it's almost like the level of crimes that they've committed are not equal to the crimes that they're solving like they've done worse shit than they're trying to figure out here um so young prior comes in basically says hey i i think um there's something off about this wheeler case you know i think you guys are lying and she basically is like well, why are you asking questions that you don't want to know the answers to and just kind of fucking shines him on uh apparently <clears throat> She goes and checks this heist guy out of the same facility that Navarro's sister was in. So he couldn't get out, but the sister could. Um, Hank Pryor, I guess, has been following her, sees him, sees her get the dude and goes to her house. And there's kind of a confrontation there where, like, Hank Pryor almost doesn't even, like, try and like pretend he's almost not like it's almost not like he's like oh um i mean he does like for a second he's like oh they want me to pick him up on a warrant or something you know like you don't have to worry about this you know you're the chief and then uh finally he's just like oh fuck it i'm gonna shoot him and like shoots the dude like this was like a lot of like boom at the end of the episode like a lot of action uh hank shoots the heist guy dead and then Young Pryor, who has moved into like the shed out back at Danvers' house, hears the shots. I assume walks in, sees his, what's his, what his dad's done. Uh, the dad points his gun at Danvers, and Young Pryor shoots his dad, and that was kind of a surprise. I was like, "Holy shit!" Like everybody's shooting everybody, and Navarro, and this, again, Navarro shows up, sees these dead bodies on the floor. And it's like, we have to cover this up. So apparently they're like first instinct to anything is just like, we got to cover it up. <laughs> like we can't cause, cause um, they say something about like, Oh, you know, they'll never, they'll never believe um, prior or he'll get in trouble or whatever. I'm like, no, we won't. Like this was obviously, I, I don't know. It made no sense to me as to why they needed to cover it up other than, to create exigency for them to like get to this cave, which by the way, heist told Danvers where the cave entrance was before she gave him the heroin, um, which was super like convenient because if she hadn't, then they would have just been shot a lot because he just died. <clears throat> so young prior is like, I'll clean it up. I'll do it. And you guys go, you know, like, to find the cave because obviously you know this murder that happened like three or four years ago they've got to solve it right now (laughs) 
you know, screw these two murders that just happened right now in, in my living room or my kitchen. We've got to go solve this like cold case. So they run off into the night, storm on the horizon uh, to the ice cave, which is where episode six picks up. Uh, this is the final episode. Uh, they show up at the ice cave. They're walking. They, they figure out how to get it, which the entrance that they like dug to the ice cave or like picked with their pickaxe. There's like no snow on the, the ground. It looked like it was just ice. Uh, they get down into the cave. Uh, there's snow in the cave for some reason, even though they just like dug a hole in it. They don't have any cleats on. Um, they fall through the floor. They find Clark and there's like an underground lab down there. And I, I actually called this um, an episode or two ago. I told my wife, I was like, I think these caves connect to the, to the station. And then like for no more than they walked. Because I mean, granted, they did fall at one point, but still no further than they walked like that entrance where they went into the cave. Like I would think they would be able to go, huh? The ice station is like right there, like just over this hill. <laughs> like maybe this has something to do with the station. You know, like if somebody showed me on a map and they're like, look, there's a cave like right next to your house. Now I might not jump to the, well, maybe there's a secret entrance to the cave in that house, but I might think, Maybe that cave runs under the house or something. Um, so that, that seemed a little like they, it didn't seem like they walked far at all. Like not even like a hundred yards or 200 yards till they like fell through the ice. And then they're like in uh, this like secret underground lab. <clears throat> they get back into the station, which I mean, they spent almost no time in the caves. Like boom, they're in the cave. Boom, they're back in the station, uh, back where it all began, which I kind of figured that's where it was going to go. I thought, I was like, eventually it's going to end up back in the station. Uh, the Clark, the missing scientist guy, he like, he he's juking, you know, he's running around and he, he, he locks Danvers in this like refrigerated like case thing that has a glass door for some reason, not an insulated door. And he hits Navarro with a fire extinguisher. And I... Couldn't again. This is one of those things where I'm just like, "What the fuck?" Danvers, who has her gun out, puts the gun up, grabs like this metal pole stick thing, and starts hitting the glass. And I'm like, "You have a gun. Shoot, shoot the glass in, in the corner, <laughs> and then hit it with the stick." Like it, 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 I don't know. It, it made no sense. Like why? It was ridiculous. Um. So, and then and it was funny because, so the Clark guy's like dragging Navarro off and she's like waking up. And I thought, I was like, she's going to beat his ass. <laughs> uh, and that's exactly what happens. Like Danvers runs around the corner and, and Navarro's on top of him, just beating the shit out of him. Um, then they tape him to a chair and put headphones on him and basically make him listen to the Annie video where she's like screaming, like on a, just over and over. <clears throat> and um, while I thought it was like, well, I thought it was kind of clever and I thought, oh, that's, that's, uh, that's interesting. Again, it's like you can't put someone under duress like that and then like have what they tell you count. But I told my wife as soon as they typed it, taped it to the chair, I'm like, we're about to get a lot of exposition here. Like he's going to explain a bunch of shit. So they, they like 
leave him for a little bit and then they come back and they start interrogating him <clears throat> and it turns out you know you're, you they lead you to believe all this time that the mine is uh, producing pollution and the station Salal research station is basically covering it up saying like oh no there's no pollution going on here it's fine and i thought this was kind of a clever twist it wasn't it wasn't like an M. Night twist, but it was interesting. It wasn't something I expected. Clark's like, no, we actually, we at the station asked the mine to produce more pollution because it melts the ice faster and we can get to this microorganism that we're trying to harvest quicker. So we actually need the mine to produce more pollution. Didn't see that coming, I got to admit. <clears throat> so he... Basically, this is where we get all our exposition, or most of our exposition. He um, talks about how Annie had discovered the tunnel, got, and somehow, I, I don't know how like Annie figured out wh what all was going on. Apparently, she discovered some notes or something that basically said, like we need to ask the mind to make more pollution or something. Like it's it just it was so weird how she discovers this underground mine or lab and all of a sudden just understands everything that's going on. Uh she destroys a bunch of equipment. Uh and then the other scientists discover her down there, like causing a, a disturbance and breaking the stuff, and they all fly the so all like six scientists fly into a rage. Or no, I guess there is seven. Uh, fly into a rage and like attack her. So they all all the white people killed Annie. So all the white men in the in the series are responsible for the the one murder of of uh, Annie. <clears throat> so again, they're talking to um, Clark, and he he references the time as a flat circle line, which was a lot cooler when Matthew McConaughey said it, but when he said it, it was kind of like, yeah, that's the line from the earlier season, but it doesn't, nobody cares anymore. Uh, something kind of, so so Danvers like keeps going and taking a nap in, in the ice station, and then when she wakes up, bad shit happens. Like she wakes up, and Clark is in the, like walks out in the snow and dies. Uh, apparently, Navarro let him die. Um, young Pryor goes with the bodies of his father, and I think maybe the other gentleman, to the Rose Lady, and she's just like calmly as can be, like, "Oh yeah, let's uh, you know, I'll show you how to like bury these bodies in the ice so nobody will ever find them." And um, that was a little weird to me. I'm like, "Who is this lady? Like, is she all all of a sudden she's just like." Oh yeah, you know I I I cook, uh, you know I, I clean, I hunt, and uh, I help uh, with body disposal. This is like a sign in your yard. It says like body disposal, like in her front yard. Uh, so that was a little weird that you know we find out like oh you know I was a professor and you know occasionally I I like dispose of bodies and made me wonder maybe if she had killed um, Travis, the guy that pointed her in the direction of the uh, of the um, scientists bodies earlier if maybe she had uh, murdered him 
uh, even though she said that he committed suicide. So I, I don't know. Who knows? Um, again, there's a lot of a lot of ambiguous, like implied things that never get fleshed out. And basically, you know, it's kind of like choose your own adventure. It's like, oh, well, if you want it to be this way, it's that way. Uh, <clears throat> so Danvers like falls through the ice uh, looking for uh, Navarro who like goes off on her own. Navarro has like another vision. Again, we're not sure if these are actual like spirit visitations or hallucinations or now um, caused by her concussion from getting the shit beat out of her. Uh, Danvers falls through the ice. Navarro ends up saving her. Uh, they have some like flashbacks and stuff, but again, you know, we, you know, it's established that Navarro killed Wheeler. I was thinking, I was telling my wife, I was like, maybe, maybe the cop, you know, before everything was revealed, I was like, maybe they're not going to be like dirty cops. Maybe it was like, there was a child in the home that shot the Wheeler guy. And then they like covered that up. Cause they're like, we can't, we can't like put this kid through that. So let's just say he killed himself and, and go with it from there. I, I felt that would have been a better way to go. And it also would have made me care about the protagonist a little bit more because in screenwriting, you have to have, <clears throat> you have to have like a, it's called a save the cat moment. Okay. Where basically when you, and it's usually done really early. In this case, it would have been revealed like on the last episode. But really, um, when you introduce a character, you want, if they're the protagonist and you want people to care about them, you have to show them doing something uh, heroic or good, you know, like saving a cat. Like, oh, okay, there's a cat stuck in a tree. Let me get this cat down. And then, you know, okay, well, this guy saved a cat. He, you know, he must be a good person. He must be a good protagonist so i care about him i don't want anything bad to happen to him let's follow him on his journey and and, and see where his story goes and i didn't feel like <clears throat> there was ever a save the cat moment for any of our protagonists there was never a, a moment where i looked at danvers or navarro and was kind of like oh you know like i hope nothing bad happens to him because honestly i was like these are not good people um and we never really got like Danvers is like extreme reaction to her stepdaughter trying to explore her native culture. Like Danvers was straight up like abusive to this girl. And there's no, and I thought, well, maybe, maybe they'll go back and, and, and explain why she feels that way. And they never did. So again, you know, okay, well, she's just a shitty human being. <laughs> um, you know, she drinks and drives. Uh, she's horrible to her kid and she's horrible to her fellow employees like prior like not letting him freaking have christmas off and all kinds of shit so it was it was pretty it was pretty bad <laughs> as far as like character development goes uh definitely no save the cat moments for for navarro or danvers uh although finally at the end may i did feel a little bit better about them but i was still like these aren't these aren't good protagonists. Um, 
so they have a fire built. I'm assuming they're kind of like the garage portion of the station. And they've got this fire built in, indoors, I might add. Um, and there's no smoke. It looks like it's a gas fire or something. There's like, I'm like, where's that smoke going from that fire? But there's no smoke. It's the most amazing fire I've ever seen. And then later on, when the storm stops and they get out of the station, uh, they're driving around in a station vehicle. Like apparently they had like trucks and vans and stuff there. So this whole time they're like in this build, starting a fire in this building when they literally could have just got in one of the vans or the trucks and turned it on and had heat and then and people are like well what about the fumes what about co like what about the same the smoke from the fire same same problem you know if they're in a garage they could open the door a little bit to let the fumes out but still i digress just terrible writing <laughs> um <clears throat> so they go uh and they're looking somehow or another they get inspired to look at the hatch oh because uh clark had told him he was like holding the hatch because somebody was trying to get in uh again you know he when his explanation of things comes out it doesn't make any sense he's just like it's it was her it was it was annie she was awake and she came after us to have her revenge or whatever <clears throat> very ambiguous very like not very descriptive uh, he just did say, you know, he was holding onto the hatch so that it couldn't get in or what, whatever. So they look at the handprints on the hatch and they see that one's missing some fingers. And then we get a flashback to the character from the first episode who was like there with the, the girl that got beat up, or maybe she was the girl that got beat up. I don't remember. Um, and Navarro's like, Oh, it's her. And, so they figure it out like that it was this girl with the missing fingers. So the storm stops, they get in this truck that they could have been using the entire time to, to keep warm. And they go to see like the, the cleaning lady and her friend. And this is where we learn basically what happened. So, Apparently, somehow, these cleaning women figured out that all the men at the station killed it. And this is where I really had a problem with it. because So all these women get together and decide to go get revenge for Annie. And they storm the station like fucking SEAL Team 6. Apparently leaving no evidence whatsoever. Uh, heard the men out, minus Clark, who hid in the hatch herd them out to a box truck, take them out to the ice and make them take off their clothes and send them off to their fate where they all perish. And while they're telling the story, I'm like, so they figured out that they, they find out about the hidden hatch and then they find the, like there's a tool down there that they, you know, figure out was like, oh, okay, this was used to stab Annie. And you see them like, you know, there's a clean lady like at the police department reading the police report and somehow or another they put it all together. But my problem with this is, is how do they know all the men were involved? Because they got everyone. How did they not know it wasn't just one of them? How did they know it wasn't just like one or two? Like they killed all those men. Um, 
like how did they know <laughs> uh and th that's my problem with like vigilante justice because it's like okay well how did you know that all those men were like the police didn't know so i know you didn't know figured out from reading the police reports like nobody nobody knew except for the dudes and if they had explained maybe a way that they knew that all of them did it, I'd have been a little bit more accepting of it. But I'm just like, that's an awfully big fucking chance to take there. You know, like, I'm just going to kill all these men because, I mean, surely one of them did it, right? We'll get him. He's in there. Again. <clears throat> very shitty. And how did they know that Annie was killed in the cave? Because they didn't have the video. I don't know. It didn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense. <laughs> and then at the end, they ask the the leader of the, the SEAL Team 6 there, the native SEAL Team 6, uh, wh why they left the tongue behind. And she's like, what tongue? We didn't leave no tongue behind. So I think that was meant to leave some like ambiguity. Like, oh, maybe there was some supernatural stuff going on. But by that point, I was just like, this is the stupidest shit I've ever heard. Like, I don't care. I don't even care anymore. Like, they don't. E I don't even think the writer knows. How the tongue got there. I think they just thought it would be some cool shit. You know, some ooh, spooky shit to write right. And then we'll figure it out later. And then at the end, they're just like, oh, we'll, uh, we'll leave it ambiguous. And then at the ending, so it kind of jumps ahead a little bit to Danvers being interviewed, much like uh, Matthew McConaughey's character and True Detective. And uh, they basically ask her, like, well, what happened to Navarro? You know, she disappeared. Nobody, you know... Uh, there's been sightings of her, but nobody knows. And Navarro's like, I don't know. She's she's not on the ice. I can tell you that. And then there's like a shot of her walking out into the mountains. So I'm like, well, what did she do? Did she go live off the land? Is she like fucking, did she go native? Is she living like in the mountains? Did she commit suicide like her sister? Um, it was very ambiguous. Like what happened to her? And I just, I didn't like it. I didn't like the ending. I didn't like the explanation for everything uh the writing i felt was was terribly slow i felt like it was a great premise a great idea uh a lot of hard work went into the show like like i i could tell you know the props they tried to make it look like alaska they tried you know their best i think the writing i think was probably the weakest part of the show and honestly you know let's kind of almost the most important aside from maybe some of the acting uh you know i thought the characters did the best they could with what they had but again i i didn't care about any of them really uh probably young Pryor was the only one that i kind of felt sorry for <clears throat> and that's just because his wife kicked him out and he's just trying to do his job you know and trying to provide for his family and she's like i don't like this you get out <laughs> jeez and there's another there's something else that somebody pointed out because she gets um, woken up at one point and she's like, oh, I have a final or something. I have a test here in a couple of hours. I'm just going to stay up. And somebody was like, no nursing school in the country is in session the week of Christmas. Like they all get out like the week before. Like even the online classes, like there's a Christmas break. There's like a two week, like Christmas exodus. <clears throat> and I was like, yeah, you're right. Like she wouldn't have any classes. Like she would be on Christmas break by then probably. But again, just, just poor writing, um, a lot of, a lot of inconsistencies, you know, and there's some things where you can kind of suspend your disbelief or suspend your disappointment 
and be like, oh, well, okay, you know, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. But then, you know, with all that promise and like, like just how super fucking weird it was, uh, for all those guys to be like frozen in the ice and all that. And then it just turns out it was like a bunch of angry aunties with guns and a box truck. Like my disappointment was so bad. I was just, when they started explaining it, I was looking at my wife, like, can you believe this shit? And she feels the same way I do. She thought it was fucking stupid. So it's not just me. I I just felt it had a lot of promise and it failed to deliver. Um, you know, by the way, when I was, so I just got back from vacation where I went down to Mexico for a little bit and watching TV in the hotel room, they were promoting the shit out of this show down there. And, uh, I guess the writer and director of the series is Latina and she, you know, was coming on and she was speaking in Spanish about the show and like telling people to watch it. They were really heavily promoting it down there. So I was seeing that and thinking like, Oh, you know, can't wait to get back and watch the finish the show up. And then I did. And I was like, Oh my God, I I tell you what, I'll never watch it again. I'll definitely watch the first season again, but I'm not going to watch this season again. I don't think I've ever been so disappointed by a television show like there's been some tv shows where i'm like oh i would have done it differently or that could have been gone differently but this is one i was just like i can't believe i wasted six hours of my life on this i don't know i'm sure there's some people that love it Uh, i did notice on imdb the last episode is like the lowest rated episode it's got like a 5.5 or something so I am not the only one that's disappointed with it. And I feel similarly to a lot of people that I see commenting on it who say that they feel like this wasn't a true detective show. It was another, it was something else that got basically branded as true detective. They're like, I will throw true detective on there and slap it uh, on there as season four. And I feel like that's probably true. And I feel like there's some... I feel like there was some script stuff that didn't either didn't get fleshed out or there's some scenes that got cut that didn't flesh out. Like we never got the full story on Danvers's family on the car accident. So what happened with that? And we never found out who left the tongue. Like that's ambiguous. Like, Oh, I don't know. I guess it was a ghost. Or one of those native ladies was like holding on to that tongue for some reason. So then they said when they found the body, it was missing a tongue. So prior Hank Pryor senior moved the body. And then when Navarro found it, it was missing the tongue. So that doesn't, that means that the, the cremation, the crematorium lady didn't take the tongue because it was already missing. So, I don't know. I feel like they maybe wrote themselves into a corner and then just, I don't know. We'll explain it with ghosts. (laughs) Yeah. And the, the ending was like super ambiguous. Like, okay. And did Navarro kill herself? Did she just go like, did she just go live off the grid? Like, what's she doing? Is she really there? Because there's a scene where her and Danvers are like looking off this, like sitting on a deck, like looking off and they aren't acknowledging each other. So it's like, was she dead? Is she a spirit now or what? 
And um, I saw an interview with the actress that played Navarro, and she she says she thinks that Navarro just basically like went somewhere where she didn't have to work, like she had no responsibilities and didn't have to worry about that stuff and could be herself. So it seems like she's more of the in the like Navarro still alive, uh, which I would like to think. I would like to think that. Um, I would hate to think that that a character, a protagonist like that would be like, well, I just got to kill myself. That's, you know, my mom killed myself. My sister killed herself. It's family tradition. I got to keep that going. It's the only way out. I feel like that's a bad message to send to your viewers. But um, anyway, let me talk for just a minute <clears throat> about the betrayal of law enforcement in movies and TV, and then I'll be done. Um, so the problems I have a lot of times with the portrayal of law enforcement and in movies and TV, especially recently, it seems like it's always been in a kind of a negative light or they're, they're, they're maybe pretty ambiguous. Like, well, it, they could help or, you know, this or that. And that's one of the things like at the end when, um, I can't remember if it's Navarro or Danvers asks the lady like, Oh, well, what, you know, why didn't you guys come to us with that? And they're like, Oh, the police don't do nothing. And, you know, I had, I don't know how many times I had people tell me that throughout my career. And I'm like, you don't, you don't understand. Like, I can't just do whatever the fuck I want. Like on TV, I have to follow rules and laws. And it's like, if you don't, if you think something is wrong, or illegal and it's not that's not my fault that's the legislator's fault that passed these laws like i don't have no say in that what laws get passed and don't and <clears throat> you know if you think that people shouldn't be allowed to ride uh electric bikes on the street or whatever or whatever the hell you're complaining about like that's and, and you call me and i'm like sorry there's nothing i can do it's not the police just going Oh, I don't feel like messing with that. I'm not going to mess with it. It's there's nothing I can do. Like I can't go tell someone to do something if they're not breaking any laws. Like I can't tell somebody to go, Oh, Hey, you know what? Even though you're wearing a reflective vest and a, and a, and a helmet, uh, this lady down here really doesn't want you to ride your bike on the street. So, uh, I'm going to ask you to stop. And then they're going to tell me to go F myself. And I'm going to have to go F myself because I have absolutely no enforcement power whatsoever. Um, a lot of people's, problem with the police it stems from uh, ignorance of the law and their rights and just basically not knowing what the police can and can't do it's like oh my neighbor's playing loud music at 10 o'clock in the morning it's like well the i can't the disorderly conduct statute states it has to be a loud noise between like 10 p.m and 8 a.m it's not in those hours there's not really anything i could go ask him to turn it down but he can tell me to go f myself <clears throat> so yeah I, I think that's where a lot of that stuff comes from um or you know the the burden of proof um you know like on murder cases and stuff you know especially you see that in small towns like well everybody knows who did it i don't know why the police won't do anything well it's probably a couple of reasons one there's absolutely no physical evidence whatsoever and two nobody's actually going and telling the police about it. they're just like well, i don't know why they won't arrest him everybody knows he did it well, has anybody that maybe witnessed it, like, or heard him confess to it, maybe went and reported it? They just expect the police to, like, 
And that's another thing, too. Like, it takes a community to police a community. And people expect the police to do, just to do it all. And it's like, the police only have as many eyes and ears as you give them. If you know about something, you need to call the police and tell it. You can't just expect the police to, like, osmosis that shit, you know, from the police department or whatever. It's like, okay, you know, there's... 40 some miles of road in this town plus you know people are calling all the time and complaining about their neighbor's dog barking and shit like that how much time do you think the police actually have to drive through your neighborhood in a given shift and do all their paperwork and do all that it's just you know night shift maybe a little bit more but day shift day shift is the devil when it comes to police work it's horrible i hated working day shift but, uh, yeah, and people see movies and TV, and then that's kind of how they form their opinions. And it can give, uh, it can give a, a negative uh, light to, well, a lot of, a lot of uh, things. But law enforcement primarily, it seems recently, has been portrayed in a negative light. And uh, it's funny because I always hear people like, oh, you know, like, police killed this many people or police shot this many people and police did this, you know, like just killers with a, with a badge, killers with a badge. It's like, you know, if I really, really wanted to kill people and get away with it, you know what I do? I'd go become a fucking doctor <laughs> because medical malpractice is freaking rampant. Like I don't, I don't know anyone personally that has died. Well, that's not true. I do, but I, I don't know anyone let me see. I'm not friends or family with anyone who's ever been shot in a police shooting. But I've definitely had friends and family members die because of medical incompetence. I'll put it that way. And nothing ever happens to the doctors. Like, there's never any, like, you know, oh, maybe we should take this guy's license. It's like, oh, Bob lost another one. Darn it. <laughs> oh, well. So... Anyway, I've bitched long enough. Uh, I'm going to get off here. Uh, man, sorry about the way that show turned out. I wish I wish it had been better. I was rooting for it. But again, I think probably... I think probably it wasn't initially a true detective series. And I think it probably would have been better as like a two and a two and a half hour movie. Uh, but this is what we got. <clears throat> And, um, you know, they made, <laughs> they made the creative choices that they did for reasons that are beyond my grasp. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed my take on this. Uh, it was very disappointing, uh, at the end, you know, they really hyped it up, it seemed, and then didn't deliver. Um, I do have eventually, I think I'm going to get around to writing, a detective Alaska detective story set in Alaska. So maybe I will, um, create what they were going for and, and uh, actually really good detective story with detective <laughs> undertones. I, and that's another thing too. Like, I don't think anybody that watched the show could have figured out what was happening. Like could have got to the end. And I hate that. I love a good mystery where you can like, solve the mystery along with the protagonist. And this one was just like, 
oh, here's an exposition drop, you know, like, oh, here's another exposition drop. Like, we're going to tell you what happened. They didn't really, there was a couple of times where they figured stuff out. Um, for the most part, I think prior figured most of it out, but there were a couple of times where, where the protagonist like, oh, like the hair dye thing. Like that was, that was good detective work. But then again, you know, it just goes to another exposition drop. There's no, there's no like putting things together. It's all like, well, let's go to this person and then this person tells you the secret and then this person tells you this secret and there's just stuff that you have no way of being able to figure out. <clears throat> I felt A Haunting in Venice was really good about that. Like you could figure the story out or the mystery out along with the protagonist. Uh, and there's not a lot of mysteries out there like that. A lot of them lie by omission or they purposely like omit information so that you have a hard time figuring it out. But uh, not not a haunting in Venice. You should check that out for a good uh, a good mystery story that you can solve along with the protagonist. Uh, but I can't recommend True Detective for that. Anyway, guys, uh, that's it. This is the Last Watch. I'm Beans Baxter, and I will be here in Alaska. The beans abides. So have a good one.